Hi everyone, this is Dylan, your podcast host. Welcome to a very special episode of Z Prime on the Grid. As you may have noticed last week, we had a bonus episode with guest host Nancy Bowie-Thompson, board member of the Sacramento Municipal Utility District, and she talked to Steve Wesley, founder of the Wesley Group. Well, there were other prominent thought leaders at the event, and Nancy was able to make time to talk to some more. Today we have her two conversations with notable CEOs from opposite ends of the country who have had to overcome adversity to help create a better and more diverse energy industry. Later, you'll hear her conversation with Arlen Orchard, CEO of SMUD, but first, here is her conversation with Gil Quinones, CEO of the New York Power Authority and Thought Leader of the Year for ETS-19. Please enjoy these conversations about the meaning of thought leadership and overcoming adversity in a white male-dominated industry. We'll be back to a regular episode with Aaron and myself next week. Enjoy! Welcome to Z Prime on the Grid. I'm Nancy Bowie Thompson. I'm elected board member of the Sacramento Municipal Utility District, also known as SMUD. I'm back again today for another sit down with a key figure at the Energy Thought Summit 2019. With me today is Gil Quinones, CEO of New York Power Authority and Thought Leader of the Year for 2019. Gil, thanks for being here with me today and congratulations on your well-deserved award. Thank you, Nancy. Glad to be here with you. I'm always interested in how people started their journey in the utility industry. Tell me about how you got here. Well, uh, maybe even before that. I was born in Iowa uh, when my parents did their uh, PhD and master's in agriculture in Iowa State University. But I grew up in the Philippines, did all my schooling there, and uh, graduated as a mechanical engineer. I came back to the United States. My sister, my oldest sister, was already in New Jersey at the time. And uh, my first job was with an engineering consulting firm that uh, piloted the demand-side management programs of Con Edison in New York City. And from there, Con Edison hired me. I, I worked for Con Ed for 16 years, both in their regulated and unregulated business businesses. And then I joined Mayor Bloomberg after 9-11 uh, to help rebuild New York City. And after that, I joined the New York Power Authority. So that w- that's been my journey so far. So your whole career has been in energy and utilities. Yes, absolutely. In, en- in both in utilities and in the local level of the public sector and now at the state level. Amazing. Being in this field and seeing it change and grow, what were some of the key challenges that you had to overcome during your tenure or some of the defining moments in your career journey? I think that 9-11 was a defining moment. I live a couple of miles north of Ground Zero in Manhattan in the West Village and just seeing the building smoldering after 9-11 really had a profound impact in me and spurred me to want to be in the public sector. And uh, luckily, Mayor Bloomberg was looking for an energy policy advisor at the time. And so I joined. Uh, so that was one of the, the most defining moments in, in my career and kind of defined my, my journey in the public sector now at the state level. We all arrive with the help of key leaders and mentors in our past. Who are some of the people that really helps foster your love of energy and government to get you where you are today? Well, uh, I'll start with my mom. My mom was a big figure in, in my growing up. She put a lot of uh, importance when it comes to education. And uh, also, I have an interesting career. My first four bosses 
we're all women. Oh, wow. That's and, very unique in our business. Yeah, unique in our business. And uh, they had a profound effect in, in my career, uh, my view about inclusion and diversity. So from that perspective, you know, looking back, uh, that really impacted my leadership and management style. So speaking about inclusion and diversity, how have you worked to build um, diverse teams, not only on your executive staff, but within the organizations that you've managed and led? Well, in, in NIPA probably is the best example. When I joined NIPA, uh, there was no uh, female vice president or above, mm-hmm. and there were no female board members. And now 42% of our officers are women, and two of the seven board members that we have are women and also people of color. So I'm very proud uh, in, uh, over time, uh, building a team that is very reflective of our customers in New York. Wonderful. So. For me, uh, being in this industry, I've, I've worked in it as my day job, and I, I always joke, I moonlight as an elected official. I don't encounter many Asian Americans in leadership fields. When I go to APPA or CUMUA, I'm, I'm usually the only one. How has it been for you being the first uh, Filipino leader of a public utility? How, how has that been for you, and how do you think that we can encourage more APIs yep. to be engaged in leadership positions. I think we engage in engineering roles. That's usually yep. where we come into play. How do we move our you know, fellow APIs up the ladder yeah. of leadership? Well, you know, I'm very proud of my heritage, proud Filipino-American, and leader of the, the New York Power Authority. You're right, there aren't a lot of us out there. Maybe you and Connie Lau, the great Connie Lau yeah. for Hawaiian Electric. Mm-hmm. I think that it will happen over time, but we do need companies and we do need boards and leaders who would give opportunities to Asian Americans to be uh, leaders in utilities in the energy sector. The utility sector has been very good in terms of women. Of all the Fortune 500 companies, the utility sector has the most amount of women, CEOs. So that's a great record. So we just need to to extend that to Asian Americans and people of color. And I think it will be, our industry will be better for it. So this past year, SMUD sent teams of line crews to help Puerto Rico recover. I understand from our CEO, Arlen Orchard, that Puerto Rico has a place in your heart. Can you talk about what you've done, what NIPA has done, and why helping Puerto Rico has been such a priority for you? Yeah. Well, under the leadership of our governor, Governor Andrew Cuomo, we went to Puerto Rico a day after Maria. About 20 of our engineers did the damage assessment of all the substations, and in fact, we're still there. We also assembled uh, about 450 line workers from New York, 350 bucket trucks, and, and restored restored the San Juan metro area, which is 70% of the, the load and, and the central business district and a seat of government in Puerto Rico. Puerto Ricans are our family in New York. Uh, we have the most number of Puerto Ricans outside Puerto Rico. And so in our case, uh, our governor likes to say, which, which I think is very accurate, that if a family member needs help, they don't have to ask, you go and help. And, and that's what we did in Puerto Rico. We're still there. We're helping them rebuild. We're helping them apply for federal funds so that they can rebuild 
And it is a very important mission for us. Now we've, we've even extended that help to the U.S. Virgin Islands, oh. uh, WAPA, which is the Water and Power Authority. So we have a dedicated team based in Puerto Rico and uh, U.S. Virgin Islands helping them. That's incredible. So I know that NIPA is doing some game-changing initiatives. Would you like to highlight a few of your programs or initiatives so that our listeners can learn and maybe borrow a little so they can bring back to their utilities? Certainly. We aspire to be the first digital utility. We're in the middle of that digital transformation at the Power Authority, and we are basically digitizing everything end-to-end, our asset management, our customer experience, all of our internal operations, and we believe that it is going to be the catalyst to meet our strategic goals. We're also building an electric vehicle fast-charging infrastructure across all of our highway corridors in our state to make electric vehicle an easy choice for New Yorkers, and they don't have to worry about you know, running out of charge. The range anxiety the range is anxiety. real. Abs- I, I have an e-golf, and we think twice about running to the supermarket. So exactly. thank you for and, putting and, it in and infrastructure. And we're, we're putting it at airports. We're putting it at urban hubs, DC fast chargers, to make sure that we solve that range anxiety. We're also testing uh, storage at all levels, at the transmission level, distribution level, and behind the meter, so that our experience can be used by our regulators and our market operator, the New York Independent System Operator, as a, a template or a test bed to help shape new policies and regulations and market rules and really foster storage in, in our state. Our governor has set very, very ambitious goals to uh, fight climate change. Uh, so we have a goal, just like California, to have carbon-free electricity by 2040. We have a goal of 9 gigawatts of offshore wind by 2035, oh. distributed solar 6 gigawatts by 2030, and storage 3 gigawatts by 2030. So a lot of these uh, goals are all pointing towards our response to the greatest threat in our generation, which is climate change. So as we close today, what piece of advice would you give to that next generation leader who wants a career in utilities, who doesn't quite know how that they can grow beyond just an individual contributor? What would you advise them? I think I've always said to our employees that they need to try things out and not afraid to fail. So they should try things out and and learn and pivot and iterate and try again and don't give up. You know, have that grit, have that determination to achieve uh, what we need to achieve. And it's always something that should be bigger than just uh, a job. It, It should be something that I believe should help in our own way repair the world. You know, in in Judaism, there's a term tikkun olam, which basically means repairing the world. And and I think all of us in this, in our generation should should do it in our own way and and practice tikkun olam. Well, thank you, Gil, for speaking with me today. We're very excited to award you Thought Leader of the Year for 2019. Thank you very much. I accept it with humility and on behalf of all the employees of the New York Power Authority. Thank you for listening today. Thank you. Thanks to Gil for coming on the show. 
Up next is Nancy's conversation with Arlen Orchard, CEO of the Sacramento Municipal Utility District, and he's going to talk about the work he does at SMUD and outside of SMUD to create a community that he's proud of. And please forgive the sound of flags hitting windows. It was a bit of a blustery day. Hey everyone, I have one more special guest in my series of ETS 19 podcasts with prominent figures that attended the conference this week. I'm sitting down with my good friend and our very own CEO of SMUD, Arlen Orchard. Arlen, you've spent a week here in Austin. How have you enjoyed yourself so far? It has been fantastic. It's a great opportunity to engage with uh, people in the industry, with technology leaders and utility leaders, hear their thoughts. I always take away something that I can take back to SMUD and implement. So it's it's been fantastic. And I have to say, ETS is my favorite conference because it feels so fresh compared to many of the other places I end up speaking at. I love ETS because it brings together a variety of speakers that we don't typically hear from. Is there a speaker this week or a topic that rang true for you? Well, I loved the whole theme about love and loving your customers because at the end of the day, as we face a more competitive industry, what we're trying to do is build loyalty. And loyalty means with your customers that you have an emotional connection. So the whole thought about how you more deeply connect with your customers and a number of speakers across a number of panels spoke to uh, how you better do that. And so I'll take some of those little tidbits away um, and really it just reinforced what I have already suspected, which is data drives everything, even when you're learning how to uh, love your customers and have them love you. Well, great. I want to shift gears a little bit. Leaders like you are rare. I realize that the journey to the top is oftentimes difficult um, and full of landmines. What key challenges during your vast career that you've had to overcome to be as successful as you are today? Well, I think, you know, one of the big challenges is always to believe in yourself. And when you're starting out, um, that is sometimes a challenge. So learning to really believe in your own capacities to succeed and lead is important. And I think... For me, one of the challenges was I'm gay, so I, and I'm of an age where as I was growing up, that was no one valued that. And in fact, you were told you're a bad person if you are. So you pull some of that into your own psyche. So getting um, over that hurdle and believing in yourself and valuing yourself and valuing who you are as a whole person, I think is a lesson that I took away from uh, my early career because what I discovered is by not being authentic, I was holding myself back. Once I was authentic with who I was and brought my whole self to my career and to my work, that's really when my career started to take off. In public power, specifically, uh, being out sometimes isn't the easiest or the most comfortable. How has it been being one of the only openly gay public power CEOs um, that I've run into during my tenure on the board? So, you know, the nice thing is I think I had some trepidation about it. I expected, um, you know, until recently, the power industry has been very much dominated by straight white guys. And so I had some trepidation. I work with a lot of folks across the country, including places where I think, oh, that's a conservative state or a conservative part of the uh, country. And are they going to accept me? And I have been so pleasantly surprised. People have welcomed me with open arms. My, I have to say my personal life and the fact that I'm 
been with my partner for 23 years has never been an issue. And in fact, people ask me about him. How's he, how's he doing, et cetera. So I think I've been pleasantly surprised um, about the warm reception that I've received, which gives me a lot of hope for young, young gay professionals who are looking at the utility industry and saying, is, can I really make a career in this more conservative, more traditional industry? And I think the clear answer is yes. I'm very proud of SMUD. Not only do we have a very diverse board of directors, we have two Asian Americans, we have three women. Uh, I look at our executive staff. I I joke with people, it's a bit of the united colors of Benetton. (laughs) We have two African Americans on the executive uh, team. We have several women, three women. I I haven't seen anything like that in our industry. Can you talk to us about what you've done to identify diverse leaders for your executive team and how you've increased diversity at SMUD. Sure. Um, I'll just talk about the executive team for a moment. So it is an incredibly diverse team. We actually have two gay members of my executive team. I think SMUD has a deep commitment to diversity um, from a business standpoint We live in an incredibly diverse city that speaks multiple languages. We have people from all over the world who've immigrated to Sacramento. And if we're going to be successful in connecting with our customers, it is incredibly important that we have a workforce that reflects that community. And I'm not talking about statistics so that you have to have a certain number of Vietnamese, Americans, etc. But you need enough of people from across your community so you understand how to engage with cultures that you're unfamiliar with. If you've grown up um, as an American your whole life, as a white American living in wherever. So I think from a business standpoint, there's a business imperative. And then as you look at the, the company, our new employees expect us to embrace diversity. It is one of those things that will help you attract your workforce of the future. So we have Um, employee resource groups that run a whole gambit from young professionals to African-Americans to LGBT to disabled um, employees to veterans employees. I mean, it's just a group. And so we really encourage them to be active in the in in SMUD, be active in the community, um, represent the diverse face of SMUD. And I think it's just important. I think you look at your leadership talent pool and you really need to Look at who are those people that you want to start to put opportunities in their path for them to demonstrate success. They have to demonstrate the success, but you have to remember that people who don't look like you, sometimes you have an unconscious bias towards them. And so if you're conscious about that, you start to put that aside. You start to put opportunities in people. So you've been that mentor and leader to build your team. Who in your journey to the top, shall we say, have been instrumental in helping you be who you are today? So I'll say in my personal life, just growing up, my two biggest mentors were two women. My mom was a single mom. We were poor. and But what she taught me was you just carry on. No matter what the adversity is, you carry on. You square your shoulders. You move through it. And you and you work hard to get what you want. The other one was my grand grandmother. And so we... I learned a lot from her. What I learned from her is she taught me how to read before I was five. She taught me how to do math before I was five. She taught me that desire to continue to learn throughout my life. And that love of learning um, has obviously benefited in my my career. Likewise, when I started my career in the utility industry, it was two women. 
both of them lawyers. Both of them were the uh, general counsels of SMUD. The first woman, uh, Jan Shorey, went on to become CEO. The second woman was Dana Appling. She was African-American. She was a general counsel. Both of them encouraged me, encouraged me to be who I was, encouraged me to bring my whole self to work. But importantly, they took the time to understand who I was as a human being and what motivated me. So they both understood that I like to challenge, but they also understood I didn't want to be that guy who was the deep, deep subject matter expert in a very narrow part of the law. They understood that they needed to challenge me and that I liked to have a broad breadth of opportunities. So they purposely structured my work. So every six months, every every year and a half, they said, hey, we have this new thing we're going to be doing. Can you lead that from a legal effort? And I'm like, I don't know anything about that, but hell yeah, I can do that. That's going to be exciting. That's what kept me motivated. So them taking the time to know what personally motivated me and then helping me along that path was um, instrumental. It's not like I got it right all the time. I had some failures along the way, a few big ones, but um, that was the other thing. They never held those failures against me. Against me, it was really about what did you learn from it? So speaking of failures, as you reflect on your long career at SMUD, can you talk about some key defining moments that shaped your career or shaped your thinking or changed the path where your career might not have gone if it didn't occur? Sure. I think I have learned as much from my failures as I have learned from uh, my successes. And as I think about some key failures, one of the things that I remember was early on in my career, I was responsible for going through massive documents. And I worked through them and I was so bored. And I got through it and I said, I said, I'm done. And so we turned over all the documents. And because I was bored and I let my mind wander, I let the crucial document through in a very big litigation. And it was handwriting on something that a lawyer had done that said, well, I disagree with the economist. I think the value is actually $40 million. Well, that came back in the litigation to say, you should be paying $40 million. Your own lawyer said. And so my boss at the time called it my big random error. (laughs) So, and it was a big deal. But what I learned from that was that, God, you know, even when the job is tough, even when you're bored, you really need to buckle down and do the very best at your job because people are counting on you. So even when I found stuff to be tedious, and believe me, in everybody's job, there are tedious moments. It really told me the importance of focusing and staying true to that. I think the other biggest failure I've learned as a leader is, and this isn't a pleasant one, but if you've got somebody who is not a good fit for a job, give them every opportunity to get it right. Give them the tools, but address it if it's not. Because the truth is, they're not happy. They're not doing a good job. And what I learned from that is what you don't realize until you cut the ties there is how much they're negatively impacting their coworkers. So I've come to to learn that I owe it to that employee and I owe it to their colleagues to do the right thing and be decisive in that area. And that's a horrible thing. I've never fired somebody where I didn't sleep, where I didn't lose sleep the night before because I understand it's impacting them, it's impacting their family, but sometimes it's the right thing to do. So you've been very passionate about organizations that support women who are escaping domestic violence. Mm -hmm. 
Walk a Mile is one of my favorite events a year where our SMUD team straps on three to four inch heels and walks a mile. And that represents a walking a mile in a woman's shoes who's escaping domestic violence. Where does this passion come from for helping these women and families? For me, it's a very personal matter. Um, my younger sister was a victim of domestic violence and I didn't know what to do about it back then. And um, so she was beaten and humiliated and it took her a long time to break away. And there were no tools, there were no organizations back then. So I always think about her story and what it took, how much it took, how much courage it took her on her own. And she was embarrassed, so she didn't talk about it. And so bringing awareness to that so other women don't go through what she did, that's that's why I strap on those heels and end up with blisters and bloody toes every year. And uh, this is a powerful moment. It's a story that needs to be told, and it's a problem that is much larger than many people understand. And I thank you. Um, my mother and I, as you know, um, I survived a very violent home. Um, and we didn't have the tools and resources to get out until um, we couldn't take it anymore. And we just said, we need to pick up and go. And so I appreciate men like you who speak up and raise funds for women like my mother and I, who we didn't have a choice in this. So I would like to thank you personally. Thank you. Thank you. So as we look, you know, at the end of our journey here at ETS, we have reiterated time and time again how SMUD is positive partner, how SMUD is a cutting edge utility. I want to give you a moment to highlight some of our more innovative programs so that we can give nuggets of inspiration to utilities, move the needle in a way that we haven't seen before. Wow, there's so many things I could choose from because I do think SMUD is one of the most, if not the most, innovative utilities in the nation. So as you know, a lot of what we're focused on is creating great customer experiences and also really tackling climate change in a really meaningful way, not only for how SMUD delivers energy, but the whole climate and carbon profile of our community. So let me start with the, the carbon thing. We are very committed to reducing the footprint of our region. And so we're investing $2 billion over the next 20 years in electrification of transportation and uh, buildings. So in the building front, we're doing some really, really innovative things. We have the first in the nation incentive program working with developers to get all new electric homes. We have an incentive package for those developers and we've secured about 1,500 homes already in just the year that we've been doing that. At the same time, we recognize that the biggest nut to crack is really the existing housing stock. And we realized that one of the barriers was contractors. They don't know as much about electric space and water heating because what they know is gas, and so that's what they show their customers. So we've got a hands-on training program for them, and we've coupled that with a very substantial incentive package that will get folks, when they're looking at replacement, to make the switch from electric or from gas devices to electric devices. In the area of electric transportation, I think we really shine. We have a first-in-the-nation partnership with Uber, 
where we're providing a, working with Uber, we're providing a financial sweetener to Uber drivers who drive all electric. And we're not doing it just because we want Uber drivers in an electric vehicle. But if you think about how many times an Uber driver takes someone in a day, every person in that get, that's getting in that car is having an electric car experience. We have supported the rollout of electric school buses in the Sacramento region with school districts. And I think nobody would have predicted just a few short years ago that we have electric school buses ferrying kids in one of our most disadvantaged school districts. I mean, that's a model for the nation, quite frankly, because these are also kids who are being ferried around in neighborhoods where you tend to have the worst air quality. So there's a double win, plus these kids get to experience electric transportation. So those are a couple of um, programs there. We also know we need to provide our customers with a lot more tools. And so as they make their choices, so many customers are interested in solar. So we have a solar answers tool on our website that customers can go to. It's very sophisticated. It takes them to their roof and it provides the analytics for them that says, is your roof right for solar? And then it does the financial test for them based on what the deal they've been given, whether it's a lease or an outright purchase. So we're helping customers become more informed as they make their, their decisions. We support whatever decision they make. We just want them to make the best decision. And we have a similar tool for electric transportation around, is an electric car right for you? So I think there's a lot of really cool things um, that we are doing um, to help our customers be more informed and make better decisions. And I've used both of our tools for both solar and EV vehicles. And, and what I try to explain to people is, it's fine if you want to go green, but you do need to understand the financial implications. And if the payoff is a payoff that you're willing to live with, and because our rates are so low, I have to tell people, payoff not is as quickly as you might think, but at least you have the data to say, I'm going green because I want to go green, yes. not because I'm going to save a boatload of money in the first five years. And I think that's important. Well, and we have, as you know, we have programs to give customers alternatives. So if a customer goes on and says, wow, that payback for that rooftop solar, too high for me, but I want to be greener. Well, we have a greener G program where customers for a few dollars more a month, our residential customers, can actually have 100% of their portfolio supplied by greener G. For our commercial customers, we know they have big sustainability pro programs. They want they have goals they're trying to, to meet from a corporate standpoint. So we now have the largest community solar program in the nation, 140 megawatts for our large business customers of community solar so that they can go all green. So we're looking at ways to meet the needs of our customers in very unique ways. So Maybe solar, rooftop solar doesn't work for you as a customer, but we've got other alternatives for you to help you achieve those same carbon goals and often at a lower cost. And I'm really proud of the partnership that we had with the Kings and the Golden One Arena, making it one of the only lead platinum sports facilities in the world. That partnership, I have felt, has been such a great model for the rest of the world. When they look at sports complexes, hundreds of thousands of people walk through those doors. And if we could set the example that you can go green and save a little green while you're at it, I'm really proud of, of yeah. you and your team the and golden, what we did. The Golden One Center is not only the greenest 
um, sports complex, entertainment complex in the world. It's also the most technologically advanced. So it's not only great, it's technologically advanced. And Sacramento should be proud of that. So as we close today, you've, you've given quite a few nuggets of advice. What would you like to tell our listeners as we end our week at ETS to help them either in their careers or at their utilities or just how to make the community a better place? From a career standpoint, as you think about your career, people are always looking or often looking to what's my next opportunity. And the truth is your next opportunity will come if you focus on being the best that you can be at the job you're doing. And so that's something when I talk to employees, when they say, how can I advance? I always say, well, be the best that you are at your job and you will get noticed. Be that person that raises your hand and volunteers to work on a project. You obviously have to deliver, but being the best at what you do and being the, becoming a go-to person will help anybody grow their career. And I talk to lots of employees about that. When you're thinking as a utility about your community and your customers, especially if you're a community-owned utility like SMUD, I think you really need to focus on the issue of who's benefiting from and what value you're providing. And I think one of the most profound things that I've come to as CEO is our obligation is a lot more than just providing electricity. We really are focused on improving the quality of life for our customers in our community. And I think what I've come to is that means all of our customers and all of our community. So really focusing on those members of our community who are in vulnerable, are part of vulnerable communities, I think is exceptionally important. I think that is something that is the hallmark of what we do. It can be the hallmark of every utility. Well, thank you, Arlen. It was a pleasure speaking with you today. I have admired you and I am so thankful that you continue to lead our utility. And I know that we will just continue to grow under your leadership. So this is Nancy Bowie Thompson signing off for the last time of ETS 19. Thanks to Arlen for providing those insights. I think we all learned a lot through these conversations about what being in this space means for our communities. These two men with different backgrounds and living on opposite ends of the country have become two of the most prominent members of this industry by drawing from their own life experiences to be compassionate and forward-thinking in their business practices. That sense of community and passion from our leaders is what gives me hope for an energy future that is human-centric and creates a better environment for our employees and for our customers. Thank you so much to Nancy Bowie Thompson for conducting these interviews. We hope to see her again soon. Aaron and I will be back next week. See you all then.